Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. Let me get a good look at this group. You guys are gorgeous. You know, I, yeah, yep, you're gorgeous. You know that. <laughs> but you guys truly are the beloved treasures of God. And I just want you to look at the person next to you for a minute and recognize with awe and wonder that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in the person next to you, that you are looking at the image of God when you look at the person next to you. Go ahead, look around, look around. Check out this gorgeous group. You guys are reflecting the beaming brightness of heaven in this room. Do you realize the power that we carry as God's children? I think a lot of times we forget, but don't worry, I'm here to remind you today. So it's going to be a little bit sassy. It's going to be a little bit different today. I'm not your typical speaker, so I cannot guarantee what today is going to look like. Uh, I sometimes do some radical things on the stage by accident, but I think God plans it. Um, and I might make a few people uncomfortable, but Jeannie's used to it, so. <laughs> but I really am so excited to be with you guys here today. And if you don't know me, my name is Katie Zelliger. I just got married two months ago to that wonderful worship dude right there. Um, yeah. God is so good. I loved what Pastor Rick said. I'm going to call you Pastor. What Pastor Rick said about finding his spouse in church, that's where I found mine. God is so good, but I want to give you just a little bit of my backstory so that you know who this crazy chick on stage is talking to you. So I found this church about uh, nine years ago, and I had gone to a missionary school right after graduating high school. I opted for a different path, kind of forced by the Lord. Um, I intended to go to college. He shut that door, and he opened up a door to a missionary training school through Youth with a Mission, or YWAM for short. And it was there that I came to know the God as a trinity. Um, I, did, I only knew Jesus and a little bit about the Father. I'd never heard of Holy Spirit. I never knew any of that stuff until I got to YWAM. And they had classes on it. They taught us all about it. I had some pretty radical encounters, and I'll tell you a story or two from that. And it completely wrecked me for the ordinary. I was never the same after I ran face-to-face -face with the King of Glory. I was wrecked. I was done. Um, <laughs> I'll probably get a little wrecked today, too. But that's okay, right? We're all here to get wrecked by Jesus. Okay. So I, uh, I was with YWAM for several years after my training course. I decided to join staff. Also, funnily enough, forced by the Lord. Uh, how many know that when you surrender your life to the Lord, he asks you to do things you don't want to do, but it's for your good and his glory. So we do it, and we grow, and we cry through the process. But he's glorified, and he takes us from glory to glory with him, right? Yeah. So I, I ended up living on a remote island for three years in the Caribbean Ocean, Caribbean Sea, um, and we were situated in a rainforest between two tribes. One tribe was animalistic and tribal in their beliefs. They had witch doctors. They chanted all night long, sending curses on us. We had some very interesting encounters with demons walking around in tangible darkness on our property, and we had to do spiritual warfare at an insane level that you only hear about in crazy books from the 80s or 1700s or stories that Alan tells. And then on our other side was another tribe that had syncretic Catholicism. So they had mixed their animalistic views with Mary and God and Jesus, and they'd created their own version of religion. And they... Um, were a very different people. They were called the Nobe people. I might tell you a little bit more about them later. 
But that formed me and who I am today, living on a remote island between two feuding tribes, chanting and cursing us all night long. <laughs> and so if you don't have faith at that moment, you either will or you'll die. And so uh, that definitely formed me in the fire. And so I eventually came back here, home, and I started to minister more with this church. They grew me, stretched me, pulled me, pushed me into places I wasn't ready for, but they saw that God said I had potential and was ready for. And so they brought me onto their leadership team, and I've been on their leadership team here for five years now, and two years as assistant pastor. So why do I tell you all of this stuff about me? First of all, I haven't met some of you yet, so I thought it would be good to get to know each other. Maybe we can share coffee later, and you can tell me your story, because I would love to hear yours. But I also tell you this because evangelism is my passion. I am crazy about Jesus. I am so in love with him, and I love to talk about him. And so to get to convey to you guys in a message today about how to transfer your love for Jesus into a way to evangelize is something I'm insane about. I want to help you feel equipped and encouraged and capable to share about the love you have from God and that you have with Jesus. So hopefully I can transfer that to you today that you'll be encouraged to step out and pursue the lost. So last week, Alan talked to you a little bit about evangelism, and he hit some of the basics for us. Now, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard this. This is our great commission from Jesus. And he says, um, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So first thing I want to point out here is that as Jesus sends us, he doesn't say go without me. Okay? He's not saying go do it and report back. I'll stay here. I'll kick my feet up as a hoity-toity boss and let my minions do the work. He doesn't say that. He says you're going to go, but I'm going with you. Okay, you're going to go do this, but you're not doing it apart from me. Okay, keep that in mind. The second verse I want us to look at is Mark 16, 15 through 20. It's similar, but he expands. He says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs." So the second thing I want to point out to you through this is that as you preach the gospel, it's going to be accompanied with power. Amen. We don't want to just talk about the kingdom. First Corinthians tells us that the kingdom of heaven is not merely a matter of talking or eating and drinking. It is a matter of power, love, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And so as we share the gospel, we want to couple it with the power of the Lord. But how do we get the power of the Lord? Well, we look at Matthew 28. He's going to be with you. He is the all-powerful one. And if he's always with you and he's always all-powerful, 
what are you lacking? We lack nothing, okay? So I need you to know that these two verses are a command for us. They're not just an invitation, and they're not just a suggestion for us. It's not a good idea. Jesus wasn't just a teacher that had some cool ideas and concepts that could possibly help the world and promote good humanity on earth. But this was our Lord speaking. And when the Lord says to do something, it's a command, not just a suggestion. Okay? And so he tells us that this is what it means to follow him. And if we love him, as we say we do, then we'll obey his commands. John 15, 10 says, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commands and remain in his love. Now, I want to talk quickly about the difference between a command and an obligation, okay? George Dennison says, the concept of obedience has become shrouded with a connotation of negativity. When we think of obedience, we normally infer this feeling of obligation, of doing a task apart from a desire or a longing. We associate obedience with obligation rather than fulfillment. But when Jesus walked on the earth, he carried out a very different lifestyle of obedience. So here's the thing. When we obey God, it produces love and fulfillment. But while we do work out of obligation, it produces fear and death. Let me say that again. When we obey, when we choose to obey, it's a decision, right? It comes from a place of love. Love, in order to be love, has to be a choice. Obligation isn't a choice. It's forced, right? It's a have to do. So when we choose to obey, we produce love and fulfillment. But when we do out of obligation, it produces fear and death. 2 Corinthians 3.6 tells us that the law brings death, but the spirit gives life. Okay? So when God commands us to do something, it is this beautiful invitation to come deeper with him. He's inviting us into this intimate place with him. He's saying, come and see what I have planned and be a part of it with me. He's not just saying, I hate when you have fun. Stop that. Be more serious. Actually, I'll tell you a fun fact. I was on a bus ride one time talking to Jesus saying, I wish these Christians were just more serious. They're always laughing and they're always like crazy and like getting all flighty and in the spirit. And I was like, just they were more serious. And he said, Katie Ann, seriousness is not a fruit of the spirit. And I was like, I repent, Father. (laughs) So here's the thing. He wants us to be filled with joy. He wants us to be filled with this intimacy with him. And so he invites us into this place with him. This command isn't just a stop it, be more serious. It's that I have something much better and I want you to see it. So if you'll do as I say, you'll see. I want to show you, but you have to come and do it my way. So he's inviting us to know his heart deeply. And I'm sure you're thinking, wait, where does this go and how does it connect to evangelism? But we have to understand the Father's heart and how he feels in order to reach his people because he knows them best, okay? So let's pause for a second. Can God trust you? If you think about yourself and the way you talk to God or the way you talk about God to other people, if you were God and you looked at your life, would you trust you? Don't answer that. But I just want you to consider that. Can God trust you? Are you trustworthy? Not just in man's eyes, but in the Lord's eyes. Can he reveal truth to you? Can he reveal the treasures of his heart to you? Can he reveal secrets to you? So when I was looking, there's this verse 
Psalm 25, 14 in the classic amplified version. It says the secret, the sweet and satisfying companionship of the Lord have they who fear, who revere and who worship him. And he will show them his covenant and reveal to them its deep and inner meaning. And so this, this wild concept of God has secrets in his heart that he wants to reveal to you. And so I need you to figure out and get to a place where you want to be worthy of hearing those secrets, where you can be trustworthy of hearing those secrets. Now, the fun thing about this word secret, I'm a little bit geeky, okay? I like to go deep dives on Hebrew and Greek and understand the lexicon, okay? So I did a little bit of a deep dive on this word secret through scripture in the Hebrew. And the Hebrew word is sod, okay? Now, the cool thing about Hebrew is that when it gets transliterated, the original it is a picture language, a numerical language, and an alpha character language, okay? So each of the Hebrew letters has various meanings and purposes. So in the fact that it can create a picture, each letter illustrates something. So then when you put those letters together to form a word, you have that many illustrations, and they collect it, and it converts to a meaning, okay? Isn't that cool, first of all? How cool is God? He created a language that's also like a storybook. Like, it's a picture book. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But the word sod, as a picture, it is a couch, a cushion, and a man reclining on it. And that is the imagery for a secret. And so it's this picture of friendship. And so when God wants to convey a secret to you, he's inviting you to come away with him, to recline with him, just like John the Beloved reclined on his bosom, to recline upon him so he can tell you his secrets. Okay, so now do you know what God's secret treasure is? Have you ever heard about God's secret treasures? It's people. People are the treasure of the Lord. And we see this all throughout scripture. It's people like you. It's people like me. It's people who screw up. It's people who are saved, people who are unsaved, people who are awesome, people who suck. It is all of them. <laughs> they are all God's treasures. Okay, we see it in Exodus 19.5, you shall be my treasure. Deuteronomy 7.6, the Lord has chosen you to be a people as his treasure. 1 Peter 2.9-10, but you are God's chosen treasure. You are priests, you are kings, you are a spiritual nation. You are set apart as God's devoted ones. I want you to look at the person next to you and say you're a treasure. Yeah, now I want you to look at him again and say, I treasure you. Do you receive that? Are you receiving that in your heart, that you are a treasure of the Lord, and that the person next to you is also equally treasured? Can we just recognize that we're all on the same footing here, whether you suck or saved or not saved, whatever, you are treasured, okay? Because if we can hone in on this one concept, you can do evangelism. If you can't hone in on this, don't even bother sharing the gospel. You need to understand the love of the Father's heart. Amen. The Father's heart looks at you and goes, you're my beloved. I'm in love with you. Whether you're sick, whether you're a mess, whether you haven't put real clothes on or showered in a year, you are beloved. And so as we recognize that we are the beloved of the Lord, we can look at others and recognize they, even in their messiest of situations, are the beloved of the Lord. And it's only from that place can we begin to speak to them and share the gospel. 
Because if you're going to come in and say, well, I'm beloved, but you're a little less than beloved, you need a shower and you need to clean up your life before you meet Jesus, it's not going to work. That's not the gospel. You're preaching a faulty, false gospel. That's not okay. We can't do that. And so we've got to get there ourselves. And that's why you're here today, right? Okay, good. Cool. So let's look at Luke 15. Luke 15 is this incredible parable about all things that are lost. All the lost things. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost loved one. Even if you just think about it in those terms, God cares about what you lose. He cares about all things that get lost, whether it's an inanimate object, a person, or a beloved pet. He cares. Okay, but let's start at the beginning. I want to highlight verse 1. Because whether you realize this or not, sometimes we skip these introductory verses thinking that it's not really that important, it doesn't have any meat to it, but it really gives us the context for why the meaty passages are so meaty and delicious, okay? So verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Who were drawing near? Sinners. The sinners were drawing near to Jesus. And it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Who grumbled? the Pharisees. Okay, so now Jesus has a mixed audience. Okay, this is the perfect setting for a riot. Okay, this is like putting two people that are in a civil war in the same room together. Okay, they don't get along. The sinners are looking at the Pharisees saying, you're so hoity-toity. And the Pharisees are saying, you bet we are, you guys suck. (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm going to hit my quota for the word suck or not today in church, but I might. Sorry. But so he's got this mixed audience, okay? He's got believers, but they're religious, and he's got those that are hungry and broken that are not believers, and they're all in the same room. And so we look at these passages, these parables, and the first parable we see, this shepherd has nine, he has a hundred sheep, but one goes missing, and he decides that he's going to go after it. He captures that one little lost lamb, throws him over his shoulders, and carries him home, and he rejoices. There's so much rejoicing. He says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He is directly slamming the grumbling Pharisees who are religious and righteous who have no repentance in his presence. So he is, he's using this sheep to say the sinner. The sheep is the sinner. Okay? And so he makes this really wonderful, stark comparison, this contrast of righteousness and grumbling versus broken and yet finding joy in salvation, okay? Our second parable here is of the lost coin. And we have the story of this wonderful woman who has 10 coins. And the 10 coins are the equivalent of 10 days worth of labor wages. And so it might not be a whole lot, but it's something. And so she loses one of them. That's a whole day's worth of work she loses. And so she's looking everywhere. It says that she... It says, and if she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? What's so cool about this word seek, again, in Greek, it's the word zetio. And zetio is one of the strongest words for seek that you can have, to search so fervently, so diligently, so carefully. It also means to crave. So you would use this if you talked about a man who was in a desert seeking water, dying of thirst. When you're dying for something, the search, the fervency of search that you have for that thing that will bring life to you is unlike anything. 
right? And so this is the same fervency with which God has as he searches for the one lost coin, okay? He's craving, he's seeking, okay? And now this last parable we may be most familiar with, the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of two sons who have a father, and the one younger son asked for his inheritance, which culturally meant he was basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. In order to get an inheritance, someone has to die. That's how it works. His father didn't die to get the inheritance. He had to say, I'm done with you. Cut me out of the family and give me my my portion. And so he got either a half or a third of the estate. He goes, he squanders it. He realizes what he's done. He repents in his heart. He decides to change his ways. He starts to come back to his father, preparing the speech, this lavish, woe is me, I am the scum of the earth, please let me in, I'll sleep with your pigs, I'll eat the the servant's slop. And his father, yet a long way off, sees him. And in order to see something a long way off, it doesn't happen by mistake. You have to be looking. You have to be searching. And it's again this idea of search, this crave, this seeking that is so fervent, so intense, that the father has looking for his one that he does not yet know, okay? And so the son comes, the father rushes out to greet him. It says he embraces him, but the, the transliteration is he falls on his neck. And he does so because the, the son committed such a heinous crime against his father during this time. Their culture was one of dignity and shame, a lot like Asian cultures, where if you do something wrong, if you bring shame on yourself, you shame the whole family, okay? And so when he brought the shame on himself by leaving and becoming a deviant mess, he shamed his whole family. The village rises up in anger to protect the father. This is just culturally speaking. This is what happens in this time period. The village rises up in anger to protect the father, and they decide, we're going to stone that kid when he comes back, if he ever comes back. And so when the father threw himself on his son, it wasn't just to say, oh, I missed you so much. It's so good to have you home, honey. No, he said, I have to do this, otherwise they will kill you. If I don't get to you first, you're dead. And so he ran, which is also a very undignified thing to do for a wealthy landowner to do at that time. Because for them, the ankles are pretty sexy, I guess. So if he pulled up his little Burke situation and ran, he was exposing himself which is also culturally inappropriate. And so when he did all these things, we read this in modern day English and we think, what's the big deal? But culturally, to the first century reader, the people who this this section was written to, they understand the travesty, the cultural contrasts that are happening. So I'm explaining it so you can be brought up to speed with us, okay? So he runs to him. He rescues him from the point of death. His son doesn't even know what he's walking into. Doesn't even know the whole village is ready to pile on him with stonings. And so he rescues him, and he says, my son, uh, I lost my place. Oh, verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So now the younger son here represents those tax collectors and those sinners that are literally standing in his presence. And he's illustrating this parable to them, and it's panging their hearts as they realize that's me in this story. Do you ever hear someone tell a story, and you're like, Is the pastor talking about me right now? Who told him what I'm going through? That's what Jesus is doing to them. They're going, how does he know? Okay, and the the older son is representative of the Pharisees. And interestingly enough, as Jesus is telling the story, while the crowd is mixed, Jesus' intended audience for this parable was the Pharisees. He was trying to get them to understand, you're already at home with me. 
Everything I have is yours. You could have anything. You just have to ask. He's saying, I need you to see your brother. Your brother is still in the world. Your brother is far from me, but he's still my son. And I need you to see the value and the worth that I see in him. And the father in the story attributes this worth and this value by putting on him a fresh robe. He calls his servants and he gets them to put on him a Uh, He says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And I heard someone once say, maybe even here or Dr. Shelley said, where do you think that stuff came from? The, The son squandered everything. He no longer had a room at the house. He left. He was gone. He lost everything. So whose robe got put on him? Whose shoes? Whose ring? It was the father's. The father cloaked him in his identity and said, look, I attribute worth and value to you. And so we have to recognize the Father's heart in this and make sure that we recognize who we are in this story. If you're feeling like a prodigal son, you need to do some work with the Lord and recognize he values you, okay? But if you're sitting here and you're recognizing that you're an older son in this story, then humble yourself, okay? Get over yourself. You're in the house of the Lord, okay? You are saved. You are rescued. You have the answer, And the Father's inviting you to look beyond yourself. He's saying, come beyond, okay? Okay, so what we learn about the Father heart of God in these passages is that he is absolutely attracted, magnetically searching, craving, fervently after anything that is lost. So when you're in the grocery store and your mouthy neighbor who's super lost, do you feel magnetically attracted to them? Or when that hot mess of a homeless person is sitting outside the convenience store or right outside sheets, are you magnetically attracted to them? Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 tells us, imitate God in everything that you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So how are we doing? How are we doing when it comes to imitating the Lord? Are we rushing the gates of hell? Are we pursuing the lost? Are we chasing them down the street until they'll stop and listen to us? I'll tell you, I've chased a couple people down the street, quite literally. Strangers. They, they kept running. I kept running. I caught them. <laughs> I did. I was in Lancaster once, and we were preaching the gospel, and we had to do open-air evangelism. And I'll tell you, that is ballsy. It is terrifying to stand on top of a chair and go, excuse me, into a plaza. Can I have your attention, please? Don't worry. I'm not asking you guys to do that. That's not this evangelism course. That's evangelism 301, okay? This is just 101 right here, okay? But sometimes God calls us to these uncomfortable places, He calls us to love extravagantly, to preach boldly. We might not be there. You might be like, please, Lord, don't ever ask me to do that. That's fine. Let's find a way that you can evangelize while still obeying the Lord and not compromising. Okay? So I want to tell you a cool story. Um, Once upon a time, um, I was in YWAM several years ago, and I... It was the first week in YWAM, and I was super fresh. I was very conservative. Like I said earlier, I didn't grow up with a lot of knowledge of the Holy Spirit. I knew God. I knew reverence, holiness, religion. I did not know that God was real, per se. 
um, tangible. I didn't know he was a real person. I didn't know I could talk to him, pray, that, that it could be a dialogue, that he would talk back. And maybe you're still in that new zone where you're like, wait, God talks back. He does, and if you're up for it, buckle in, because it's a bumpy ride. <laughs> He'll tell you some things that you didn't know you were ready to hear or weren't. But I had this really cool encounter that rocked my socks off, and I pray happens to you too one day. So, um, like I said, I was conservative, so I see all these people worshiping, jumping, dancing, waving their hands, and I think, they're a crazy lot, and I'm not ready for this. I'd like to meet with the Lord, but it's going to have to be on my, my very limited capacity, and so I sat down in the aisle at this church service, and I was hiding, tucked away in the corner, and I just prayed, and I closed my eyes, and I said, God, if you're real, would you meet me here? Just a simple prayer. And I don't even understand how he heard that simple prayer so profoundly, but I had this incredible vision where the Lord walked up and sat down in front of me, and it was as though it was the realest of the real thing I'd ever encountered. And he started speaking to me, and I locked eyes with him, and I'm sobbing. Because if you ever look at Jesus, you can't keep your eyes open. You can't see God and, and like, handle it. It fries you. It fries your whole nervous system. And so I'm looking at him, and I'm just crying, and he's saying, you're so beautiful. You're my beloved. I love you. And I'm like, but you, <laughs> you are beautiful. <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> I didn't know how to, I couldn't contain it. And I just was sitting there crying, and he was pouring truth over me. He just was speaking to me. And it was the most humbling, beautiful encounter. It felt like a slice of heaven. And I thought, I just wish this would never end. And in just seconds, he gets up, and he turns, and he walks away. And as he's walking away, I'm like, wait, what did I do wrong? <laughs> did you finally realize what a sinner I am? Like, what's going on? And he looked back at me over his shoulder, and he said, follow me. And I, like, froze. And I was like, okay, I'm hallucinating. I am having a mental break with reality. I'm going into psychosis. None of this is real. But I'm in a church, and I've heard stories like this. I'm like, but what if it were? So I lean over to my friend, Marsha, and I say, Marsh, I think I just saw Jesus, but he got up and walked away, and he said, follow me. What do I do? And she goes, well, follow him. <laughs> okay, good point. So I'm like, I stand up and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, but this is weird. Okay, this is beyond my capacity. So I'm just standing at like the edge of the church, right, in, in another place. And, and I'm like taking baby steps. I'm like looking around at everyone worshiping and I'm like, I'm trying to follow the Lord, but I feel so stupid. I'm like, am I really supposed to follow him in a tangible way or was this some ethereal spiritual thing? And so I'm like, okay, God, can you just give me a hint? Because I am just freaking out. My flesh is fighting me. I don't feel like this is right. So I'm taking the idiotiest, bittiest baby steps and I'm just praying, Lord, please show me what you want me to do. Please just speak. And he just says one name. He says, Alyssa. And so this is my first week there, and so I got introduced to people, but I didn't know anyone, no one. And so I think, okay, I've met a girl named Alyssa. I think she's somewhere in this building right now. Let me see if I can find her. So as I'm, like, walking with the Lord, I'm like, I'll go this way. <laughs> and so I'm, like, looking over here, and I'm like, I think Alyssa was over here. So I walk over, I ask them, was Alyssa over here? And they're like, no, she left a while ago. We don't know where she went. And I was like, I should probably follow the Lord's directions and not my own. That's a, that's a good learning tip, folks. So I go back to where he left me, and I said, Lord, where do I go? And he said, go left. And I'm like, this is so weird. So I'm like taking these baby steps, and he says, go right. And so I go right. Before I know it, I'm at the back of the church in front of the doors, and I'm like, I've just 
totally made this entire encounter up myself. I'm nuts. But right as I go to push open the door, Alyssa opens it. And I am stunned. And I'm like, shoot. (laughs) Okay, God's real. (laughs) God is real. What is happening? And so I look at her and I say, are you okay? And she goes, no, I'm leaving. I'm going home. I quit. I can't do this. And I'm like, whoa, what's happening? And she says, she starts crying. And she says, what you guys don't know about me is that I'm a drug addict and I got sent here and I'm detoxing. I haven't had any of my drugs in about a week and I can't handle it anymore. I am crawling out of my skin. She was like, I was just vomiting in the bathroom. I am so sick. And I was like, "Uh, okay, Uh, I guess we should pray. Let's pray. Because again, I'm not filled with the spirit at this point. I don't know how to hear God's voice. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what I'm doing. This is all new to me, okay? So I sit her down, and I pray with her, and I just pray the best that I can at the time. Nothing flowery, nothing cool, no these, thys, thous, just whatever I got at the time. I whip it out, and I'm like, please, God, you did this. You brought me here. You brought her here. Make it happen somehow, Jesus, please. And we, we just say amen, and she's like, it's gone. It's completely gone. Every detox symptom in an instant was removed from her body. God miraculously delivered her instantly. And so this crazy encounter taught me a couple things. Number one, it taught me that God is real, okay, that he is super duper real, and that he loves us so extravagantly. He loves us so deeply and intimately more than we can ever imagine. And number two, it taught me that following him means loving others. It means serving them. It means seeking them out. It means being humble. It means going low, going to the places you don't know how to go to and going anyways, being willing, being open, being available. And this one moment perfectly encapsulated God's father heart, his desire for the hurting, the vulnerable, the broken, and the lost. And it completely floored me. So that's the thing about encountering the Lord, okay? If we don't encounter the Father's heart of God and get his Father's heart for other people, when people encounter you, you are all that they will encounter. And that's not how it's meant to be, okay? If we encounter the Lord, what happens when you spend time with someone? They rub off on you, okay? I was listening to a psychology podcast this week, and it talked about the power of gratitude, And how when you show gratitude to someone, it actually psychologically bonds you to that person. When you say, thank you, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me, you you connect yourself to them in a way, just intrinsically, your brain chemistry does something that it associates positive hormones and positive chemicals with that person. And so you bond yourself to a person when you show gratitude for them. Okay, And so when we encounter the Lord, when we worship him and praise him, you are actively bonding yourself to the Lord. Like, he created our chemistry this way. How cool is that? So he did this on purpose that we would be connected to him. That way it's not so hard to get close to his heart. You know, Psalms 100 verse 4 says, We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. Who would have thunk that science would have proved that? That's pretty neat. (laughs) But so anyways, we want the people that we encounter to have an encounter with God when they encounter us. Not just us. We don't want them to have a flesh-to-flesh encounter. We want them to have a spirit-to-spirit encounter that rocks their socks and transforms them. Amen? Do y'all want that? Are you interested? 
Did you sign up for this? I guess is what I just heard. <laughs> I see some eyes rolling, some I guesses. <laughs> I know, sounds sketchy, right, folks? It's better than that, all right? You're created to be a walking encounter with heaven. Okay, you're created to be a portal of the Lord's love, to use a weird word, sorry. But you are. You're meant to be this medium, this conduit of God's love touching earth. That is who you're created to be. Yes, Rhonda, even you. You're created to be a conduit of love. Todd White gives us this really cool quote. Let me find it. My notes got a little crazy. He talks about being this wonderful conduit. Okay, he says, all I am is a conduit. You are a conduit for the Lord, and a conduit encases the electric. But the conduit is really just to encase and to house something else. There's something inside of it that's live. And if you touch that thing, well, you know what happens. It's different now if you touch the conduit. You're okay. It's safe to touch the conduit. But if you touch that electric, it's different. You touch it, and you get lit up. And so we got to get touched. We have to touch the electric of God. So we get lit up. So when people touch us, they get lit up. Okay? Amen. Okay, I'm so far off my notes. Give me a second. (laughs) Preach it. Okay, let's see. Are you guys doing okay? Can you handle it? All right. Very good. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you another story. We've got so much time. We are swimming in time. I can afford like three more stories. All right. Cool. So I want to tell you this story about a man named Levi. All right. We're going to kick it back to 2018. It was a hot morning as Angel and I departed on a bus with three male students to bring them home from Panama. We went on a mission trip. And uh, the mystery was wonderful. It was great. But I'm not going to tell you a story about that. I'm going to tell you about the travel home. Because if you think just the destination is where God wants to get people, you're wrong. He wants to get them on the way. He wants to catch them on the journey. Uh, And so Angel and I were on this trip home. We took this bus from Panama. It was like an eight-hour through the mountains, car sick, all over the place kind of journey. And it had this midway point at this little beach resort where they offered you lunch, and it was a bus stop, and you got to sit on the beach for a minute and stop puking for a second. It was great. So, <laughs> so we go to this beach, and uh, we get lunch. We sit. The guys are, like, hashing it out. And I get up to go to the bathroom. And wouldn't you know, I meet the most fantastic, fabulous gay man in the bathroom. And it's the woman's ladies' room. And so I'm like, hello, how are you? Like, didn't expect to find you here. And we're just washing our hands together. And he's pruning, not pruning, what's the word? Primping in the mirror. And I don't know. (laughs) Pruning in the mirror. (laughs) Could prune some things. (laughs) Anyway, so he's primping. And uh, we start to talk. and, And I just, like, affirm him. Because you know what? I know the Father's heart. I know that I don't have to love what they do. I don't have to love a lifestyle, but I can radically be magnetically chasing after a human soul, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so I'm excited. I mean, and I'm like, honey, you are fabulous. Do you know how wonderful you are? And he was like, girl, please. And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, you really are. You are loved as heck. 
And so we start chatting, and he's like, honey, like, you should come have a drink with me and my husband on the beach. And I'm like, actually, I don't drink, so that's a no for me. And he's like, okay, well, you could just come hang. And I was like, well, I've got some friends here, so I should get back to them. So I go, go back to Angel, and I'm like, you're not going to believe who I just met in the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, she's like, you're only you. That's weird. I can't do that. And so we go out on the beach just to sit, get our, our feet in the water. And before I know it, he flags us down. And he's like, honey, come meet my husband. And we're like, okay. So we go over. We start talking with him. And before you know it, he just starts opening up, okay? I mean, he's a cocktail in, so he's flowing. And so he's telling us all about his work life and his uh, famous business in New York City and just how he's on a search for peace and meaning and purpose. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Those are the magic words. He is open. He is looking for something. And I know what he's looking for because every person has this gaping hole in their heart. Whether we recognize it or not, we are all gaping. And until we have Jesus come and close the gap that he was created to close, then we have a gaping wound in us. And it will continue to gape, and we will try to stuff it filled with all kinds of awful, evil, worldly things, thinking we can fill the gap ourselves, right? And so if every single human being is exactly the same, we all stuff it with exactly the same things. We try to comfort ourselves. We try to pity ourselves. We fill it with sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as they say. We fill it with all these things, thinking we'll fill it. And so as he's talking, I'm like, I hear your wound. I don't say this, but I'm thinking to myself, I hear the wound. I hear what he's filling it with. And so I'm praying, God, you're created to fill this gap. How do you want to fill this gap? Because God always wants to fill the gap. That was the gap filler. That's the gap filler. So he is always, 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 I promise you, always wanting to fill the gap. He's always reaching for the lost. There is never a second where he says they're too far gone, let them perish. He doesn't do that. That's not the Father's heart. So if you get to a place where you say, that's enough, and you just wash your hands of them, you're in sin, repent, and pursue them again, okay? So the Lord is reaching for him. So I just say, God, how do you want to reach him? And he says, just listen. And more often than not, God will tell you to shut up and listen because he doesn't need you to say something. He needs you to be an example. He needs your life to be the Bible. He needs your love to be the portal to him. Because if someone's just around you in your whole energy, the way you talk, the way you hold yourself, if you have a smile, if you're kind, if your eyes are sweet, they're going to notice that you're different. You don't even have to say, I love Jesus, plast a billboard to my forehead. They don't need to see that to know who you are, okay? And if they've got evil in them, that evil spirit in them knows way before you even open your mouth who you are, okay? So they can recognize. So I, I just said, God, how do you want to fill the gap? And he said, just listen. And so we ask questions. Tell us about your life. Tell us about your husband. How did you guys meet? Da, 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 da. And he's just gushing. People love to talk about themselves, and people will always tell on themselves. And so if you want to find out how to love them best, let them tell you. Okay? So you let them talk. So he's telling us his story. We're listening. And then he, then he finally says, so what do you guys do? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm a missionary, and we're doing missions. And he's like, no way. Is that like National Geographic stuff? Like, do you live in a mud hut? And I'm like, close. Yeah, 
pretty close. <laughs> but it's okay, because that's what he understood. That's okay. I'm not going to make fun of that. That's the best he's got. And so I was like, yeah, you're close. It's like that. So we're talking, and he just is loving the pure love that he's receiving. And before you know it, we say, like, well, do you, do you know God? And he goes, actually, I grew up in church. I grew up in church. I went with my mom every week, and I was faithful. He's like, I knew the Bible backwards and forwards. I knew everything about it. He's like, but you know what? People hurt me. And when I struggled with sin, they shamed me, and they kicked me out. No one helped him. All the ones who were called to rush towards ran from, and it left him broken. And so he left the church because the people told him, God will leave you when it gets hard to. And so he says to us, you know, I just made fantastic deviled eggs back at our apartment. Would you like to come have some? And I just instantly am like, yes. First of all, I love deviled eggs. <laughs> love deviled eggs. If a, if a van pulled up and offered candy, I would know to run. But if they offer deviled eggs, <laughs> goner. <laughs> just kidding. I would still run. <laughs> no, but secondly, I knew in my heart, I had this magnanimous, magnetic attraction that I have to be by him. I have to talk to him. I have to keep his gaze. I need him to look into my eyes. I need to tell him he's loved. And it just was this, this hunger. I could not stop seeking him. And Angel is like, she's tapping me. She's not looking at me, but she's tapping. And she's like, red flag, red flag. You don't go back to his apartment. And I'm just like, shh, we're going. <laughs> Deviled eggs. <laughs> but so, so we go and we follow him. But what we didn't realize was it was like a mile into the jungle. And so I was like, you're right. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. <laughs> like, I don't know if they'll hear us scream. <laughs> But so we do, we go, we, you know, we pray. We're not stupid, okay? You don't just do things and hope God blesses it. You pray, you check your spirit, you make sure God's leading you, okay? So we did, we checked with the Lord. The Lord was like, green light. So we went, and he's feeding us these deviled eggs. They were delicious, they were fantastic. And he's opening up more and more. And as we're walking back, he starts sobbing. And, like, Angel and I, he's between us. And Angel and I are, like, practically carrying him back to the beach. He's, his head is on my shoulder. He is sobbing, telling us every church wound he's ever had. And we just stop, and we just hold his face and just look at him and tell him what the Father says about him. And he's just crying, and he can't even look at us because he's so ashamed. So ashamed. Oops, sorry. And we just keep speaking love over him. And, he, and through the tears, he tells us, you know, I've never had a Christian love me before. And so Angel and I took the time to repent on behalf of the Christians who hurt him. That's called identificational repentance. Sorry for another time. But that's what we did. We just said, on behalf of those who hurt you, I am so sorry. For all the Christians, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? They should never have talked to you that way. That is not how Jesus talks. That's not how the Father reacts to you. That's not what the Holy Spirit would do in that situation. I'm so sorry. Please forgive us. And he wept and he forgave. And we walked him back to the beach, and he's like, his husband's like, what would you do to my, my husband? Like, what's going on? And so we do, we finish out, and we tell him about Jesus. We share the gospel. And he just kind of like, he calms down, but he's like, that's nice, you know. I, I think I'm too far gone. I can't do that right now. And we respect that. We say, that's okay, but I, I need you to know how the Father really feels about you. And the Father really loves you and really isn't done with you. And so sometimes evangelism doesn't look like them getting saved. Sometimes evangelism just means sowing seeds and exuding radical love. Sometimes that's all evangelism is. 
More often than not, it's just being a radical lover. I'm going to tell you another story. So a couple years ago, I was doing jail ministry, and um, I prefer to do jail ministry with the men's side. For some reason, they're a lot easier to work with than women. <laughs> they will receive the truth a lot faster. <laughs> but they took me to the women's side one time, and I was on my own with this room full of women, and they wanted nothing to do with me. Their attitudes were way up here, and they were like, you're not getting through, sis. But so I go in, and I try my darndest. I'm like, Lord, open up, <laughs> like, the stubborn, hard-necked people. Open it up, God. Find a gap. Let us get into this. And uh, we go through worship, and they're all talking through worship and ignoring the whole process. And I notice this one lady is sitting off in the corner by herself and super turned into herself. And so I went over to her, and I asked her, will you stand in worship? Will you, like, worship the Lord with us? And she said, I broke my foot. I can't. I said, oh, when did you break your foot? She said, two years ago. And I said, well, so isn't it healed now? And she said, no, actually, the infirmary wouldn't take care of me. They were punishing me because she was, like, super awful. I don't know what she did, but her words were that they, they were punishing her so they wouldn't fix it. And so it healed incorrectly, and she can't stand on it. She can barely walk on it. And so I said, oh, great, opening. There's a gap that God can fill. Something's broken. It needs fixed. Who's a great fixer? The great physician. That'll work. All right, if they get healed, they'll, God will have their attention. So I'm like, okay, Jesus, you want to do this? And I get the green light from the Lord. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I gather the women around, and I explain prayer real quick. I tell them we're going to lay hands and ask God to heal her. So we lay hands on this woman, and we start to pray for her. And she starts crying and freaking out. She is manifesting unworthiness and shame and rejection, and all this stuff is coming to the surface. And I'm just there speaking truth while the women are praying over her, telling her what the Father says about her, who, who her true identity is what heaven knows to be true about her. All of heaven is echoing scripture over all of us. Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. What's he interceding? Truth, <laughs> the word of God. He's proclaiming righteousness and victory over us. And so I'm just tuning in. Father, what are you saying about her? What is Jesus praying over her right now? Show us, Holy Spirit. And so the Father is. He's showing us what to pray, what to say. So we're praying it and saying it to her. And she's like, I'm on fire. This is so weird. What are you doing to me? What's happening to me? They usually freak out at first. That's good. That's fine. Let them freak out. When our bodies collide with the supernatural, it gets weird. That's all right. And so she's on fire, and she's freaking out. And I say, okay, I feel like the Lord said, get up, and we're going to walk around this prison room three times, and by the third time, you'll be healed. And she was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I said, yes, you are. Come on. <laughs> and so we hobbled together around, and every lap around that room, it was small. It was like a 9 by 12 room, small. And so as we're going around the room, each time it gets easier and easier for her to walk. And by the third time, she was completely healed. And then they all lost it. They were like, what just happened? God just used me to heal her. And then we had their attention. And then we got to preach the gospel, and they all got saved. And so sometimes God wants to use a power encounter. He wants to show up and show off and say, I got you, even when you think I can't, even when you think I won't. God wants to show us that he's there and that he's got us. He is so good. He's so good. Okay. You want one more story? Very good. Okay. Okay. Last story. So whenever I uh, started out talking, I started out telling you guys about Panama and the Nobe people that I lived in between, right? So the Nobe were this indigenous tribe of people, and they were very, very different 
their culture was very different. If Alan were here, he'd be going, mm hmm. Because <laughs> uh, they worked with the Nobe in a different part of Panama. And the ones we worked with, um, they were very sad, very depressed. And part of their culture, the women are taught from a very young age that if they smile, if they, sh- if they laugh, if they show any delight or contentment, that it's sexual and that it's perverted and that they're not allowed to do it. And so women are taught they have to scowl their whole life. They're only allowed to smile on their wedding day and that's it. And to their husband in private or their children in private, but never ever in public. And they speak a very different language it's called Noberry. And we didn't speak Noberry. And so we would have a Spanish translator and then a Spanish Noberry translator. And early on when we would try to talk with them, we learned very quickly that their language wasn't like most other languages in the world. There was no written translation of it. It was an oral tradition passed down and um, they didn't have a lot of words for things. It was very rudimentary, very primitive. So we would try to talk about things and they'd be like, there's not a word for that, pick a new word. We'd say, well, how about grocery store? And they'd say, "Mm, we don't got a word for that either. Store? Mm, uh, I, I can make something up. And so they would have to tell a story in order to get the point of the word. So they would say, that place you go to, square, roof, people pay money. And they're like, oh, okay, that place. You know, so they didn't have all the words we have in our language. That's important to know. So when we first got to the island, we obviously had a huge heart for them. We, were, we researched about their culture. We learned about them as much as you can online. We were hungry to love them. But when we got there, we asked God, all right, what's the strategy? How do we get to them? How do we reach the last, Lord? We know you're after them. How do we get them? And the Lord was like, do nothing. We're like, come again? You want us to do what? (laughs) We're on fire. We're ready. Let's get them, Lord. And he said, nope. I want you to wait until they show up at your house and invite you to come over. And we were like, that's pretty smart. It's pretty smart. You don't just barge into someone's house or village. Like, it's not how you build respect and trust. So we were like, okay. So every morning we prayed for this tribe, every morning. And eight months later, eight months, sometimes you got to pray a long time before you see the fulfillment of your prayer, okay? So we prayed for eight months, interceding for them, praying for them, for their salvation. And then one day, this sweet little girl named Lorena comes over and says that her father is sick. And he, his name is Santiago, and he was the chief of the village. And then he needed to go to the hospital, but Nobe people were considered the lowest of the low in the Panama societal caste system. And so she asked if our base leader, who is a Mexican, would take him and translate to the doctors. Because if a gringo or an American would go, they would show more favor and kindness to an American than a Nobe person. And so... Our base leader, of course, agrees. We're like, it's an open door. This is great. We have an opportunity to serve them and love them tangibly. So he takes him to the hospital. Long story short, he has congestive heart failure. He dies. And one of their interesting traditions in their tribe is to knock down the person's house and rebuild it because they believe that the spirit will get trapped there if they don't knock down the house and set his spirit free. So about... A week after Santiago dies and they decide to knock down the house, Lorena comes back. She's his daughter. And Lorena says, we need a place to live. Can we come live with you? Sure. Yep. This seems like a good idea. Let's 
get them. They're living with us. That's a that's free game. It's like when someone walks into church, free game. If they're not saved, they're gonna be before they leave. Like that's free game. <laughs> that's that's how I see it at least. Like you're on my turf. <laughs> so they move in with us. What we didn't realize is that he had like 16 daughters and 24 grandchildren and four cows and 20 sheep and a dozen uh, chickens and they brought their stove and they parked it in the front lawn and we're like. They moved in all right. They made our house their village. <laughs> we're like, let it be so. It's fine. So they move in with us, and we're like, all right, let's start doing Bible classes every day. We'll take care of the babies. The other women will teach them Bible. And so Santiago's wife, Susana, gets saved. She's now the matriarch of the village. So what the matriarch says goes. Now, one kind of evangelism is called top-down evangelism. Top-down evangelism is where you seek to find the most influential person over a group of people. And if you get that person to know the Lord and to believe in the Lord, typically everyone else after them will follow suit. So I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago we showed that video of the, the, the leader of the satanic church in South Africa got saved. You want to know what's happening in that church? Uh, I bet they're all getting saved. If the leader of the satanic church gets saved, what, are the, what is his people? What, are, what is his flock going to do? Um, our leader just defaulted to our arch enemy's religion. Uh, I bet they're going to go with them and realize the truth. Let, so, okay, so that's top down. So Susanna gets saved. So it starts to funnel through the rest of the tribe. So her daughters start to get saved. Her granddaughters start to get saved. Not only the women moved in with us. The men worked in the city during the week, and they would come on the weekends. That was how they made money. And so after they rebuild the house, they all go back. And now that all of the women are saved, Lorena comes back again. And she says, we would like to offer an official invitation for you to come to our village and host a worship ceremony that can be a, how did she call it? A unity ceremony between our two tribes, she said. In Spanish, translated through Noberry back to us in English. And so we're just flabbergasted at the way that the Lord decided to deliver an entire village of Nobe people. Floored. Sometimes I'm still floored. Like, this really happened. This isn't a story. Like, I lived this. This really happened. And so that Wednesday, we decided to host a unity ceremony between our two tribes. And so we go over and we host worship. We preach the gospel because now all the men are there. Or maybe I guess it was Friday or Saturday. Probably not a Wednesday. But the men are there, we preach the gospel, and then we offer healing. We do like a mini altar call in this tiny little rickety on stilts house over the water. <laughs> and the men start to get healed. Their backs are healing, their spines are straightening out, like crooked parts of their neck and bones all start to pop back into place with the name of Jesus. So now the men are saved and healed and delivered. The whole village is now saved. And so as we're like, this is incredible. This is incredible. One of the things I forgot to mention in part of telling the gospel is that they didn't have the words for redemption or forgiveness. Those were two words that didn't exist in Noberry language. And so we would try to explain it as we preached it, and they still received the gospel. They believed in Jesus, and when they saw the miracles, they couldn't doubt it. It was a tangible manifestation of God. You know, they had prayed, they had done their syncretic, their animalistic, and nothing ever worked for them. So when something finally worked that actually filled the gap, they had a revelation, this is real, this is true, this is reality. 
So fast forward about a year later, now we've been in relationship with them. We have wonderful programs that we're doing with them. We're helping cultivate a healthy community through microloans and um, teaching them work ethic and work skills and teaching them English classes and getting the kids to school and healthcare and all this stuff. And wouldn't you know, a trial, won't we'll call it a good trial, strikes. One day we come home and someone broke into our house stole from the safe and took the, the base director's phone or laptop. Now, of course, we're good Christians. So we pause and reflect and say, Lord, what do we do? <laughs> because there's your flesh, of course, that wants justice, wants revenge even, wants to put the hammer down. But then the spirit part of you jumps up and goes, wait a minute, let's just take a beat. So we start to pray and we're asking the Lord, what do we do? So our base director pulls up her find my phone on her husband's phone, and pings her phone, and we can see exactly which house in the village it's in. Now, they're not aware of this kind of technology. And so we go over, they, they go over, and they say, I believe you have something of ours. And they're like, no, we don't. It's like, I can see it. Like, I have GPS coordinates. It's in your house. Your son has it. It's in his room, like, right now. And uh, it was interesting because... The whole situation could have damaged the entire work and trust we built with a village that took a long time to create. And so it was a very delicate matter. And so as we prayed, we were reminded of their salvation encounter and how they didn't have the word forgiveness in their language. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. And it was hard, very hard. But in that moment, we decided to just cut the loss no, no revenge, no demands. We felt like God was saying, this is a Kairos moment to demonstrate the fullness of redemption and forgiveness. It's a tangible example of what forgiveness looks like. And so we forgave and walked away and maintained relationship. Now, of course, those who did wrong, the son Sergio and his mom Ophelina, they knew they did wrong. Ophelina knew her son had it, but she was going to go to bat for him. She was a good mama. She was like, not my son. <laughs> but... They carried so much shame and guilt until they finally came and confessed. And it wasn't until they confessed that they got to reap the benefit of forgiveness. Forgiveness was extended. It was always there. It wasn't until they chose to come into it that they got to experience it. And so sometimes evangelism looks like living it out. Mother Teresa says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And so we need to be aware that there are not just small interactions that we'll have that'll preach the gospel of people. It can be your eyes. Kind eyes go a long way. A smile goes a long way. But what if when a trial strikes, you maintain your peace, like we talk about all the time here. What if you maintain, you keep your love on, you maintain an essence of walking in step with the Lord's spirit? What would it look like if you did that? The gospel would go forth. You would grow. Your spirit man would go zoop, as your flesh would go zoop. That would be a huge win for the kingdom. And so it's important for us to recognize there are many different ways to evangelize, and especially with difficult people. But ultimately, it comes down to these three things, these simple, practical tools. One, you need to encounter the Lord. If you haven't encountered him yet, encounter him. If you've already encountered him, encounter him. If you encountered him this morning, that's great. Go home and encounter him some more, okay? You haven't gotten enough yet. <laughs> Until you're glowing and you have to veil your face from others, that's not enough. 
okay? So get back on the mountain, climb back up, and go spend time with Jesus. So we have to encounter him. And in encountering him, we have to come to know his heart. So when you encounter him, don't just do all the talking, okay? Don't just pray. Recognize that when you spend time with God, he wants to dialogue with you. He wants you to hear his voice more than he wants to hear, he wants to hear your voice. I don't want to make that sound wrong. But he really wants you to understand what his voice says to you, okay? So we come to know his heart, how he feels about the people in your life. And secondly, he wants you to start walking in love to those people in your life. He wants you to really listen, serve, go low, lower than low. You can never get too low. And I, I don't mean like I got friends in low places, okay? I mean like you humble yourself, okay? You know what happens when, when you serve people? You get treated like a servant, okay? If your pride can't handle that, work on it. <laughs> because when we serve, you will get treated like a servant. But Jesus did too. And look what happened. The whole world was changed. So if you want to change the world, your ego's got to go, you got to get low, and you've got to serve. You have to put their needs ahead of yours. You have to listen and really listen, not just tangibly, but with spiritual ears. You have to pay attention to what is really happening in their heart. What is happening in heaven while, while they're sharing what's happening in their heart? You know, just yesterday, I was at a bridal shower, and it was super fun and games until everyone got drunk. And I was like, this, these people are crazy. I'm really glad that I have Jesus. <laughs> because out of their mouth, their heart came. And their heart had voids and gaps, and it was messy and broken. Okay? And when I listened to the words they're saying, even though they were catty and mean and pointed at others, it said a lot more about them than it did about another person. So if we choose to listen with spiritual ears, you'll hear where a person's really wounded. Okay? You'll hear what's going on in their heart. And as you hear it, you can engage the Lord and the Father in heaven and what he's saying over them. Because what did he say about you? You're treasured. You're beloved. You are holy, you are chosen, you are set apart, you're my devoted one, I have a plan for your life. And if he's saying that to you, he's saying it to them, whether they're messy or broken or not, okay? And third, we have to start talking about how God loves us. Because a person doesn't necessarily want to hear you tell them that God loves them right off the bat, but they are open to hearing your story. They want to hear what happened to you. They want to see uh, proof. They want to validate what you're saying before you say it. So you got to let your life go before you, let your life story go before you, and as they hear it, they'll hunger for it, okay? So you encounter the Lord, love people, and share what God's done in you. Those things are what's going to open a gate to let people experience God, okay? Last quote from Judah Smith. When it comes to Jesus, we have got to uncover the reality of his person, let us not forget that we are here today following Jesus because hundreds of people all around the world saw a real person beat crucifixion. He beat crucifixion, he came out of the grave, and then he levitated into the clouds. People watched us with their bare eyes. <laughs> Is that a phrase? Their bare eyes. <laughs> I guess we're going to go with it. Ever since then, everyone has been telling his story because of the wild things that he taught. However, before he beat crucifixion, he, t he shared those wild things, and everyone was like, eh. 
But the moment that he beat death, everyone said, everything he said is true, and it changed the world. And that's the passion that doesn't really know the confines of doing evangelism, which is great. But this style is more of a, I can't wait to share this romantic love relationship that I have with Jesus with pretty much everyone I meet and come in contact with in some of the most ordinary and natural ways. So that's Judah Smith. He's a pastor in California, I think. But the point of it is, get in love. Fall in love. Grow in love with the Lord. And as you become absolutely obsessed with Jesus, evangelism will flow naturally. All right, will you stand with me? Who's ready to love some people? Woo! Yeah, that's right. All right. Yeah. If you'll just put your hand on your heart with me. Hmm. And I just feel like there's some people that need to reconnect with the truth of God about who he says you are. So I want you to just take a deep breath. And if you struggle to hear that you are a treasure of the Lord, I just want you to pause for a second and in your heart reflect on it. The Father says you are special. You are holy. You are seen. You are heard. You are not overlooked. You are not forgotten. You are treasured. You are the buried treasure of the Lord. And so if that's you, I just want you to whisper to yourself, I am God's treasure. I am your chosen person. I am your beloved. I choose to let you love me. I surrender the wall that I built to keep people out. Hmm. God, we surrender our hearts to you. God, we need to let you love us. I recognize those places in me where I have to let you love me. I can't push you away. I need to draw you in. And so, Father, will you move in such a way in our hearts today that we would know that we are your treasure. And Holy Spirit, would you, would you bind up all of the lies of the enemy where he would try to tell us otherwise? God, we silence the voice of the enemy in our lives. We reject his lies, and we replace them with your truth, Father, that we are your holy, beloved treasure. And Father, would you radically change our hearts? Would you transform us into a people that are magnetically attracted to anything lost? Father, open our eyes to the things happening around us. Open our ears to hear the hurts and the wounds of the people we speak to. Father, help us to see them, not just as they are on earth, but as you see them in heaven. You see them as son and daughter forever and always. God, and you're calling them back to you. So Father, would you help us to partner with you? Would you help us to walk with you? Would you help us to engage with you, Father? We don't want to do this ministry without you. We don't want to run ahead of you or lag behind, Father. But help us to see your heart and move in step with your spirit. Father, give us a love that burns for the lost. Give us a love that burns for our neighbors, for the homeless, for the smelly, for the sucky. 
God, help us to love our coworkers, our boss, our students, our banker, our postman, our truck drivers. God, help us to love them. Help us to be Christians when we drive, when we go to the grocery store, when we're at home with our kids. God, change us. We desperately need you. And then let us go with you and change the world. Help us to change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all are world changers, so get out there and change the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.